Today we will be in Revelation chapter 1. We'll also be in John. Uh, we'll reference some other texts as well too. Matthew. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1. And I'm actually going to read verses 9 through 17. Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 17. And it reads, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like the fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Let's pray. God in heaven, today we ask as we look at your word today, that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, this book. <clears throat> we ask and pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds here today. We ask and pray, God, today that, again, we could see Jesus. We ask that we could hear the gospel, that these would be your words and not mine, and that each heart here would be refreshed and renewed, touched by the Savior. We pray for the presence of your spirit and the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The American Civil War was America's bloodiest conflict. It saw unprecedented violence and death. And over 620,000 people lost their lives in the line of duty. It is still America's bloodiest and most violent war. We lost more people in the Civil War than in World War I and World War II combined together. And it was noted for its unprecedented violence at a time when things were pretty gruesome and barbaric. Maybe you've heard of the Civil War general, Jonathan Stonewall Jackson. 
This man was particularly noted for his bravery in battle. In the fiercest of battles, he was calm and composed. And his soldiers noticed this. While everything else was chaotic, while bullets were flying and people were dying, this man was calm and composed, giving orders, taking charge, leading his man. And so one day he was asked by General John Daniel Imboden how he could keep so cool in the midst of raging battles. How do you do it? And Stonewall Jackson replied, Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. Jackson then added, if all men lived with this kind of faith, they would be equally brave. My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. And he applied that to his life, even in the midst of the worst of battles. That's faith, isn't it? To believe that your hand, your life is in God's hands no matter what. And I know that some of us feel sometimes like we are in the midst of a battle, doesn't it? Even listening to some of your prayer requests, your prayer request, the conflict and the deception and the temptation that often comes to us as Christians. You know, we are all in the midst of a great controversy, aren't we? I don't know if you've ever read uh, the book of Revelation, but it's, that's all it's about. You see this great controversy taking place where God and his people are on one side and Satan and his people are on the other side and there's a fierce battle for each and every one of our souls, isn't there? It's true for the church and it's true for each person in the church as well. And that was true for the Apostle John, the great Apostle John, who was called by Jesus early in the Gospels to leave his nets and to follow Jesus. And here we read in the first chapter, the Apostle John is an old man. Some believe he's in his 80s or 90s, uh, but he's, he's coming towards the end of his life And he is actually in prison on the Isle of Patmos. We read here in verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and, and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. This is a tiny island in the Aegean Sea that is about 50 miles off the coast of modern day Turkey. It was out kind of there in in the middle of the ocean, not surrounded by much. And this place was about 16 square miles. And it is understood to be a penal settlement. In other words, it was a prison for criminals. So you could think of it as a modern day Alcatraz. Okay, 
when they wanted to send their worst criminals or the, the people that they wanted to punish the most, they sent them out to this place. But it was also a labor camp. So here's this dear old disciple of Jesus in his latter years with gray hair. And to make matters worse, besides just putting him out there on this island in prison for his witness for Christ, they also made him work like a slave. Now, it should be noticed, noted that they actually tried to kill John for his testimony for Jesus. At least tradition says that they tried to boil him in a huge container of boiling hot oil. They tried to, you know, burn him to death, melt him to death. But miraculously, he survived. And they couldn't believe it. They realized they couldn't kill him. And so they sent him away to this island to, to try to stop his testimony and his effectiveness for Jesus Christ. But little did they know that God had a plan for John. So this was the place where John was writing his, his, uh, his book from, the book of Revelation. You see, John, the disciple of Christ, he was on this prison island. He was separated from all that he knew and loved. He was separated for his devotion to Jesus Christ, for his testimony to Jesus Christ. What does he say here in Revelation chapter 9? I, John, both your brother and your companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is why he was there. This is why he was in prison. This is why he was separated and forced to labor. And who knows, maybe he was abused, beaten. I don't know what they did to them there. But here he is, separated from all that he knows for his testimony to Jesus Christ. Now, I bet John never expected to be in this place when he started following Jesus Christ. When Jesus called him to be a disciple And Jesus said, come follow me. He called him and his brother and his companions. I bet he never expected when he started following Jesus that this is where he would end up. This is how his, his life would end. And I wonder if Jesus would have told him, come follow me, John. Oh, by the way, you're going to be, they're going to try to kill you for following me. And when they don't succeed, they're going to banish you to this forsaken island where you're going to be forced to work like a slave. I just, well, I don't know. John would have, maybe he would have hesitated. I don't know. But he probably never thought that this is where he would be led to by following Jesus Christ. And here we see one of the reasons why people refuse to follow Jesus. One of the reasons why people refuse to answer the call that God has given them in their lives to follow Him and to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to commit all to Jesus Christ. Because at times, it is a difficult and rocky road, isn't it? 
at times it can be it can the path that God leads us on at times can be filled with conflict. It, it can it can at times bring us to places that we don't want to be. And even worse, the, sometimes the road that Jesus calls us on is in the opposite direction from the road that we want to be on, isn't it? This is one of the reasons why people don't follow Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. You all know this verse. Well, I hope. And it says, Matthew 16, 24 through 27, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will find it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. There is a reward at the end of the road, isn't there? And you know, I think if you were to ask the Apostle John, John, here you are, a disciple of Jesus on this forsaken island, separated from your friends and your family, forced to work. I mean, John, if you asked him, would you rather be back where you were before? You know, traveling around maybe with your companions or going back and fishing Would you rather be there in the comforts of your life before, or would you rather be here? And you know, I think if you were to ask John that question, as crazy as it might sound to most people, he would say, I'd rather be here because I'm with Jesus. I'd rather be in this place. And that sounds crazy to most people in this world. I mean... Jesus might lead us to do some pretty radical things. Jesus might lead us to do some things that seem weird or fanatical to other people. Sometimes Jesus calls us to do those things. And it can separate us from family or from friends or or from the things that we love. We might have to make difficult decisions. And I'm going to challenge us today with this question. What path are you walking on today? Now, at this time in your life, are you walking on the path that Jesus has told you to walk on? This is a basic fundamental question that every disciple of Jesus should ask. Am I on the path that Jesus has called me to walk on? Now, many do and many do not for different reasons. And I want to ask the question as well, too, why are you here today? What has led you here to this place today? 
And I want to suggest, I want to suggest that God has all called us here today to follow his voice. God has called all of us, both as a church and as individuals and as families, to follow the voice of the Savior. No matter what the challenge is, God has called us to follow his voice, just like he called the Apostle John. Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You know, when people sometimes, they'll come up to me, and they'll say, you know, Pastor, have you heard about this new teaching or preaching? Have you heard about this this new problem in the church? Now I think it's... um, the questioning the, the, the Trinity, I think, is one popular one now. These things just get recycled in, in, in the history of Christianity, and there's nothing new under the sun. Or what about this you know, uh, other teaching, this, this false doctrine that is creeping into the church? And I used to try to you know, uh, uh, kind of respond with this and that. Well, you know, don't forget about you know, how God is going to shake them and all these other things. So that's true. But I always remember this verse. I try not to get caught up in all the other stuff that's happening in the world. Because Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God's people will always follow his voice, won't they? They know the voice of the Savior. They know when somebody is a liar and a murderer and a thief as Jesus calls them. You know, I I understand when, uh, what is it, the CIA or one of these government agencies, when they are trained to identify a real $100 bill, they don't give them a fake one and and say, look, you know, at at how they try to deceive and how they try to uh, replicate the authentic. They don't do that. What do they do? They give them an original $100 bill, a real one, and they teach them, study that. Look look it over. Look at the details. Familiarize yourself with every tiny little space on that bill, and you will be able to identify a fraud whenever it comes along. Won't you? And so, as Christians, we have to keep our eyes upon Jesus. We have to keep our nose in this book, studying the Bible. And then when, when temptation or conflict or fraud or whatever comes along, we'll be able to identify it for what it is. And we'll know how to follow the voice of the Savior. And today, this passage is for each of us here in Revelation. It is calling us and challenging each and every one of us in these last days. And I want to encourage us to walk in the path that God is leading us on. And don't let tribulation or fear or temptation make us second guess the voice of the Savior. Follow in the path that God has for each and every one of us.
We may lose something or someone along the way. But we gain so much more when we gain Jesus Christ. John may have been separated from all he knew and loved. He may have had to work like a slave in a barren prison. But Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, He laid his hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. He touched me. Jesus came down from heaven. He saw his aged, worn apostle friend, John, there on that island. And he reached down from heaven and he touched him. He put his hand on his shoulder and he touched him. Now, I don't know about you all, but I need the touch of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Does anybody here need the touch of the Savior? We all do. We all need that loving, comforting touch of God to rest upon our shoulder. And when we follow Jesus Christ, there may be all kinds of things coming our way. The devil's not happy about that. But we know that we are in the comforting hands of the Savior when we do. And then when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So I want to challenge us today to walk in the path that God has called us to walk on. And there's another important reason as well too. Because John says that when he saw this vision of Jesus and, and he started receiving this vision, it was told to him to write this letter, write, write everything that he sees, write it down and send it to the churches. You see, John's testimony and his witness and, and all these visions and, and the prophecies that he was going to see were not just for himself, but they were for others. They were for the churches. And they were for people who would be skeptical and who would doubt. They were for people who would be anxious about the end of times and want to know what was happening. They would be for people like those who came to our seminars very recently, who know that we are living at the end of times. What did the Bible teach us? What does it teach us about how to live, about what is happening, about whether God cares or not? It wasn't just for himself. But it was for those for whom Christ died. And so God calls us to walk on this path that he calls for each and every one of us. So it can be a witness to the surrounding world as well too. So I want to challenge us because, you know, very soon we have uh, quite a number of things happening in our church. In just a few weeks, we're going to be doing a health clinic. And let me tell you, that has been a difficult thing to get that ball moving on, on in the direction that God wants us to go. It's not been easy. It's been a challenge. We're going to have evangelism in a few weeks. But we as a church are trying to answer the call that God has given to us to fulfill the Great Commission, 
to do the work of Jesus and coming close to people through the healing ministry. And we'll have a VBS later on as well this year to minister to our children. It is us trying to walk on the path that God has given to us that is sometimes filled with challenge and anxiety and stress and resistance and all these other things. But church, we have a mission, don't we? We have a mission. And that is to lead people to the Savior. As I end today, I want to end with a story. You all have to give me a minute because this story is is going to take a minute to read. But I, I... A couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, I received this text message uh, of this story that was just amazing. I've never heard of it before. It's about this missionary couple, David and Svet Flood. I don't know how to say her name. You just say it however you, you read it. But they were missionaries back in the 19, early 1900s. And the story goes like this. It says, in 1921... David and Svea Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa, to what was then called the Belgian Congo. This missionary couple met up with the Ericsons, another young Scandinavian couple, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to set out from the main mission station to take the gospel to the village of Indoloria, a remote area. This was a huge step of faith. Is anybody calling any of you? Is anybody being called by God to make a huge step of faith? There they were rebuffed by the chief who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to build their own mud huts half a mile up the slope. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. Their only contact with the villages with the village was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Svea Flood, the wife, a tiny woman only four feet, eight inches tall, decided that it was the only African she could talk to. She would try to lead the boy to Jesus, and she succeeded. Meanwhile, malaria struck one member of the little missionary band after another. In time, the Ericsons decided that they had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission station. David and Svea Flood remained near the village to carry on alone. Then the wife found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, whom they named Anna. The delivery was exhausting. Svea Flood was already weak from bouts of malaria, so the birthing process was a heavy blow to her stamina. She died only 17 days after Anna was born. Something snapped inside David Flood at that moment. He dug a crude grave 
buried his 27-year-old wife, and then went back down the mountain with his children to the mission station. Giving baby, baby Anna to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but rejecting God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with the mysterious malady and died within days of each other. Baby Anna was then turned over to another American missionary family who changed her Sweden name to Aggie. Eventually, they took her back to the United States United States, at age three. This family loved Aggie, afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. They decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral ministry. That is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There she met and married Dewey Hurst. Years passed. The Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth to her first daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, she found a Swedish, a Swedish religious magazine in their mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it. And of course, she couldn't read the words. But she turned the pages, and a photo suddenly stopped her cold. There, in a primitive setting, was a grave with a white cross. And on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie got in her car and drove straight to a college faculty member whom she knew could translate the article. What does it say? The teacher shared a summary of the story. It's about missionaries who went to Indoloria, Africa, long ago. A baby was born. The young mother died. One little African boy was led to Jesus before that. After the whites had all left, the boy, all grown up, finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. He gradually won all his students to Christ, and the children led their parents to him as well. Even the chief became a follower of Jesus. Today, there are 600 believers in the village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. Aggie was elated. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift of a vacation to Sweden. Aggie sought out her birth father. David Flood was an old man now. He had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke. Still better, still bitter, he had one rule in his family. Never mention the name of God. God took everything from me, he said. After an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and sisters, 
Aggie brought up the subject of her longing to see her father. They hesitated. You can talk to him, but he's very ill now. You need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie walked into the squalid apartment, which had liquor bottles strewn everywhere, and slowly approached her 73-year-old father lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned and began to cry. Anna, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. Her father instantly sniffed and his tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued, undaunted. Papa, I've got a marvelous story to tell you. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted in his heart kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the, God, to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you or abandoned us. The old father turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He slowly began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to God. He had res- his, resented, his resentment was gone. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. A few weeks after Aggie and her husband returned to America, David Flood died. And a few years later, Aggie and her husband were attending an evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words being translated into English. Svea Flood led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced Aggie for a long time, sobbing. You must come to Zaire. Your mother is the most famous and honored person in our history. When Aggie and her husband went to Indoloria, they were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. Aggie even met the man who had been hired by her father to carry her down the mountain in a hammock cradle. Then the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mom's tomb with a white cross bearing her name. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks to God. Later that day in the church, the boy turned Pastor read, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. John twelve twenty four. 
Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Psalm 127, 126 and verse 5. Let's pray. God in heaven, today we worship you. And we thank you for stories like this. We thank you for the ministry of the great apostle John. God, help us, Lord, to walk in the path that you are calling for each and every one of us and for this church. God, sometimes we cannot see the results. We cannot see the fruit. But we know that you are working in our hearts and our lives and in this world. Please help us to be faithful to you, no matter what the sacrifices are. Because all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.